Tonight, we're going to be talking about a different kind of emergency. It's not on the streets of Raqqa, Syria, or Baghdad, Iraq. It's not about nuclear weapons or the war on terror. It's the war on ideology, right here in our own neighborhoods, on our streets, in our restaurants, and of course, in our schools. They're the rapidly changing and strangely sticking new norms that have many of us worried and asking, how did we get here? What's coming next? And will we ever go back to our normal? Curriculum changes, mandates, indoctrination, oh my. Welcome back to the Foreign Desk Podcast. I'm Lisa Daftari. We are joined tonight by conservative commentator, writer, and podcaster Alicia Krauss, who is currently the host of the Washington Examiner Newsmaker Series, contributor at Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire. And many of you may know her from her morning radio show here in Los Angeles with Ben Shapiro. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Hi, it's so good to be here, especially mom to mom. I'm glad that we connected. Exactly. I've been wanting to have you on for a very long time. I know you can talk about absolutely anything. You're as brilliant as you are beautiful, okay. uh, but not only as a, a commentator and author, but because you are a wife and a mother of three, um, I, I can't wait to really dive into a lot of these parental emergencies as we're calling them tonight. I want to start right there. Um, you know, obviously you have a finger on the pulse of so many of the issues, sociopolitical and otherwise, in our country right now, um, both professionally and more so personally. What's, what's keeping you up at night right now? Uh, I think the state of our state. Uh, it's kind of interesting how Gavin Newsom has been MIA now for two weeks, and we once heard when Senator McCain was running for office and when Mitt Romney was running for office and then when George W. Bush and Donald Trump were president of the United States that the health and private lives of our politicians was very important. But Newsom can just cancel things and not be around for two plus weeks now. And uh, there's crickets when it comes to the mainstream media and Democrats not holding him accountable for not taking care of the state. We have a crisis, you know, in the South Bay when it comes to the port of Long Beach that is contributing to inflation um, prices across the country. We have issues with CRT and sex education with kindergartners and even in some preschools across our state, which then trickles in the rest of the country. Um, and then, of course, there's the issue of this never-ending pandemic, epidemic, whatever you want to call COVID-19, that is still affecting our churches, our schools, our um, small businesses, and our corporations in this country. So we have a White House that's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, just ignore the courts, ignore the Constitution. We're going to make you guys enforce this mandate anyway. I often say I was no fan of Jerry Brown, but the guy was infamously right when he said, as goes California, so goes the nation. And I think that that's why we decided to stay here and stick it out, because I want to save the rest of the nation from making the same mistakes that California has. And I want to see California turn around and not continue to make these awful mistakes and continue on this left-wing trajectory. You know, um, I, I actually wanted to ask you this question last, but because you kind of touched upon it, I'll go there now. Why? I mean, what? what's the root? I mean, my husband and I always debate this. He says, well, it's just a different perspective. And I'm like, you're naive. If, if it were truly their perspective, they would abide by it. So Gavin Newsom uh, makes rules and mandates. His own yep. family should abide by them. They don't yep. truly believe what they're telling us to do with our kids and our families, do they? No, the hypocrisy is rampant. And I was talking to my husband about this earlier because we were looking at celebrities on social media like Instagram and TikTok that are going to Rams games and going to concerts and going out to red carpet events where um, clearly it is blatant discrimination that they assume if you are an elitist or rich person or a celebrity 
you are safe and they are safe being around you from the coronavirus. But, you know, the help and minorities and people at churches, those public schools have to be the ones that are dangerous in mass. I mean, if that isn't blatant discrimination, I don't know what is. And even though the left tends to treat their politics as religion, they don't adhere. They're the most hypocritical people I'm aware of because they don't adhere to the things that they're preaching from their political pulpit every single day. So what's the end game for them? Why why do this? Why divide the country on these? Control. Because they can get away with it. They have gotten away with it. And they're going to keep pressing to see what they can continue to get away with. That's my so, opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of it comes back to um, the uncertainties right now, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, when people, when you when you bring up something like, oh my gosh, it's control, people will be like, oh my God, it's a conspiracy theory. No, they don't want control. Or if you told someone about a year ago or six months ago, they're going to make our little kids get vaccinated. You, you know, A lot of people would react, no way, it's not going to go there. And look mm-hmm. within 20 months, how fast this all escalated. And now we're seeing a lot of the parental uncertainties, right? So both public and private um, yeah. parents are fed up, right? Here in Los Angeles, for example, um, the PAWC, it's the Persian American Women's Conference, they came to me just a couple of weeks ago and said, we have so many mothers in the community that want answers. It's just the Los Angeles mothers. They can go to, you know, private school, public school, whatever it may be, K through 12. They are just worried. They are uncertain. They don't, it's not like you can send your kids to school and know that they're in a safe place anymore. Everyone is sleeping with one eye open um, when it comes to sending their kids to school. So you know, now we're, we're co-hosting um, a citywide town hall in December sometime to, to address this, right? To empower mm-hmm. parents to actually do something with this momentum that has, you know, talk about woke. Parents are now woke. They'll never go back to just trusting the system um, and, and letting things just happen for their kids. But and listen, back- I think part of the reason why I get so ticked off is because I was that mom six months ago. I was that person 12 months ago. I was at the beginning of the pandemic not okay with the government shutting down businesses, but understanding and seeing that um, private corporations and businesses were already shutting down. My little sister works for a restaurant group in LA and 30, 60, even 90 days prior to the official lockdown on Friday, March 13th, their business was losing half of their money because they relied on international tourism that was already stopping in major cities like New York and LA. The private market was already showing the concern about the coronavirus Mm -hmm. long before our state and federal governments chose to act or react. But even then I was like, oh, wow, maybe, you know, we are staying in. We're going to lock down for a little bit. I don't want, you know, our hospitals to be overwhelmed. And I had other friends like Aaron Jin, I think is probably one of the most famous ones, say, no, this is ridiculous. We shouldn't do this at all. And really struggled with the data at the front end and what little we knew about the virus to determine what the right thing to do was. And I think as time goes on, I become more frustrated that the goalposts keep moving and that the science is not being followed by our leaders. And I think that you just saw in Virginia there was an uprising of women that have been voting Democratic for Democratic candidates for a very long time, recognizing that their children's lives and educations are very important because their right. education sets them up for an economic successful future that teachers unions and Democrats have robbed of them during this time. What would you say specifically of all the things that um, have changed during this time period, cancel culture and the, the mandates. And as you said, moving the goalposts and making up the science and all of that, 
what aspect of this is most damaging and will far outlast this administration, this pandemic, et cetera? I think it's the overall distrust in institutions. Listen, I'm a small government-minded person, and there are definitely times where I'm like, yeah, burn down that crappy institution. You know, back when uh, Rick Perry talked about wanting to get rid of the Department of Education as a school choice advocate and a homeschool mom now, and a homeschooler of 12 years and a college dropout, I'm a thousand percent for that. I want people to have the best choice for them and their kids and recognize that every child is going to have different needs, right? Um, But I also think that in the burning down of those institutions and the distrust of those institutions, it's not good for our culture or our society as a whole. I want to raise my girls to um, respect authority, but also question authority with respect and education and in independent thought and voice Mm -hmm. and ability to teach themselves right from wrong and black and white. And I think that unfortunately now, we are seeing a continuing distrust in mainstream media, in our political institutions, and now in our medical institutions that 20, 30, 50 years from now is not going to bode well for our society. No, not at all. Um, speaking of, of girls, and you have three girls, mm-hmm. um, one of the, the talks that you're, um, you've been giving uh, has been about the gender differences and the importance of gender differences and not downplaying the unique differences between men and women. Now, if you take this back to school age children, Um, What damage are we doing by blurring these lines between girls and boys? I I think um, it is at an educational level, but it is also at a developmental and emotional level. I mean, that's even that's aside from when you're blurring. I mean, Abigail Shire has talked about this much more eloquently than I, but they're not only just blurring the gender differences, they're blurring um, people's ability and children's ability to develop communicative and emotional judge ability to judge and discern and say, no, please don't touch my body. Please don't tell me what to put on my body. Of course, that viral video comes to mind that just enraged me of that poor baby, not even two years old at the daycare center. And the uh, women are just aggressively re-putting on, re-putting on this screaming, hyperventilating child, infant, a mask that they do not need. Science says they do not need. I mean, even the other day I posted a meme about like why women get dimpled cellulite and men don't. There are so many scientific reasons that a a two-year-old, a four-year-old, a six-year-old can see that make them different from Mm -hmm. my girls can discern how they're different from little boys. In addition to the way that they communicate and emote and feel and even learn, our education system has Mm -hmm. been wrongfully geared towards helping young girls succeed and really holding back young men in our society for far too long. There are just innate differences that are obvious to even children, and it is eye-rolling and exhausting to me how those in higher education, higher education don't seem to recognize this. Right, and it's 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 so hypocritical the way they talk about you know validating feelings and you know having kids choose for themselves, but meanwhile they ignore the anxieties that this whole generation of kids are are it's just not ending right. So so many of these kids have gone to school, they've only seen teachers with masks on, they've only seen kids with masks on. Um, Let's talk about that a bit. You know, you also have parents who are anxious and not knowing what's going to happen at school, being anxious about the curriculum. What are they, you know, what are they indoctrinating my children with uh, or about the masks or about the vaccines? You know, what are some of the ways that this, you know, this generation of, of parents and children, how can they live with this anxiety, deal with this anxiety and turn this around so that we don't feel so helpless? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very outspoken and I still 
feel incredibly helpless. So I think I just want to say to any mom or dad watching tonight is like, please know that as much as you do, you will always feel that you have not done enough. I think that's any decent parent in, in the world always feels that way of have I done enough and what can I do more? <laughs> because we have an unconditional love for our children and wanting to prepare them for a better future than we've even had for ourselves. And if you woke up in America today, that's a pretty dang awesome future despite everything that's going on and the increasing tyranny around us and with the ability to push back. And I would say that to parents everywhere, do not be complacent. Because I think that we saw that, especially here in California with the recall election. My husband and I were just down in Orange County last week, and we were talking to some friends down there, and they are like, you know, COVID doesn't exist here. The schools are kind of normal. Nobody goes masked anywhere. Like, businesses aren't enforcing the vaccine mandate, yada, yada. But um, they also didn't get out to vote. And how come they didn't do that? And it's complacency. And I think that when people see that uh, everything's fine around me, it's okay. Right. They need to think about the next generation and not about their hello, love thy neighbor, and uh, get out there and do something about it, and do not comply. And I guarantee you that as you do those two things, you will find like-minded parents and friends and neighbors and uh, constituents to surround yourself with to keep that battle going and to grow in your numbers. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, most of my friends have private school chats, meaning there's a group of parents who are like-minded, who want to mm -hmm. fight the system, that want to speak out. And there's therefore a chat where they are uniting and, and figuring out what to do. And look, if this is the way that parents, you know, find each other and actually validate one another and then mobilize, then it's a, yeah. it's a wonderful thing. I think a lot of people, Alicia, are wondering, whatever made you decide to homeschool? You're very busy obviously very prolific, very busy. You're great at what you do. Uh, and you haven't really skipped a beat in your career, which is wonderful. Um, what what made you homeschool your kids? How did this start? And um, you know, how, how's it going? It, it was, it is, it is going. <laughs> how it's going depends on the day, whether or not my eight-year-old eight decides that she likes long division and, and subtraction borrowing and all that stuff. Um, so uh, hand it to all of the moms out there who homeschool and some dads too. I know a few stay-at-home dads that homeschool as well. And just to all the parents in general that had to do kind of a weird distance learning virtual thing and some still are and struggling with abbreviated hours at LAUSD schools. There's a lot of parents out there that don't have the option to send their kids to private schools. I know some private schools that are refusing these horrific and anti-science mandates and then I have no other private schools that are still enforcing them. Um, I decided to homeschool because we sat down with our eight-year-old last summer and said, hey, do you want to go back to your little Catholic school that you're going to, or do you want mommy to homeschool you again? And she said, you know, am I going to have to wear a mask? And we we're like, yep, it's looking like it. And she's like, I don't want to do that crap. I want to be homeschooled again. Um, you're really it, raising, you're raising a little warrior. I love it. I know, she, yeah, she also tells people they can't tell her what to put on her body when they ask her to put on a mask. So got a little bit of me in there, a little fire from her father's probably more rebellious side. I'm really praying about the high school years. Um, yeah, but, exactly. And I like love that part of her personality, but mm -hmm. I also recognize that um, what I'm doing, I'm able to do because of the freedom that I have, the financial freedom and flexibility that I have with the work that I do and with my husband who's supportive in that. And it takes uh, it takes the whole family to be involved. I'm also, you know, doing a preschool curriculum with our four-year-old. The two-year-old listens in on things and it's just like picking it up like crazy. There are so many pros to homeschooling, but there's some cons with it too, especially in a place like Los Angeles. And so I look at each of my girls and I recognize the importance of uh, individual student first 
and parent first freedom when it comes to being able to choose an education that's best for their child. Because I don't think every kid or even every family is the same in their needs of their children's educational mm-hmm. future. I want moms specifically to be able to choose what's best for them and their kids. Sure. Um, do you ever feel like your kids are missing out on the social or, or classroom experience? Um, maybe the classroom experience, my oldest would probably be Miss Congeniality slash like president of the school. She rock walks around and like knows all the parents and the kids' names and the teachers. And I'm just like, how does she do that? I don't know. Um, which apparently is a gift that like politicians like Obama and Bill Clinton had. So maybe she will be the first female president. Sorry, Hillary. Uh, and then I think specifically, yes, uh, her development though is totally fine. We do very frequent play dates. We're very involved in our church and our community and family and host people all the time and have been since April of 2020. Um, so they're around a lot of adults and friends with kids. Um, but I have seen how it has affected my four and my two-year-old developmentally, this whole lockdown uh, mm-hmm. and the way that they process or kind of get anxiety when someone even goes away of well, when are we going to be seeing this person again? And are those plans going to be canceled because of COVID? Mm-hmm. Um we were on our way to Disneyland in August and it's a tradition that we go every August for their birthday month with all of our family. And obviously it had been canceled the year prior and we're literally pulling into the hotel and the four year old's like, but are they going to be open because of COVID? And I think that people do not recognize that in the developmental stages of children, that's really dangerous. I have friends that work to try to um, support foster families and adoptive families specifically here in Southern California. And there's data that shows that, Young foster kids, especially ages 14 and under, they need to have some connection with somebody. They need to Mm -hmm. open up, have an opportunity to trust the people that they're working with or therapists or teachers or school nurse to have uh, somebody that is a, you know, required mandatory reporter to report their struggles and their hurts and their issues with. And when you uh, remove 90% of a person's face and a 12 year old girl isn't able to discern whether or not she trusts somebody that's really damaging to her future and why her physical it, why, and emotional development. But why isn't this data, you know, why isn't this trumping this very thin, you know, thinly supported science? You know, th- what you're saying is, 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 is so in- extremely important. It's, 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 they're, they're formidable years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think really, because if you turn on the nightly news, whether it's Fox LA or NBC or anything else, uh, the headlines are the things that are the most fear-mongering and fear-inducing. They talk about the deaths. They talk about the level of unvaccinated and how dangerous and inhumane the unvaccinated people are. But they're not talking about the statistics of, thank God, in this country now, unless you have a handful of underlying pretty awful comorbidities, you're going to be okay from this. That your kid is unfortunately more likely to die if they're not properly buckled in a five-point harness uh, car seat than they are, you know, going to preschool unmasked and unvaccinated because the facts are not uh, being driven here. It is fully fear for clickbait and ad dollars. I mean, it's, it's so sad. I mean, you know, when the conversation comes up and I, I have this all the time, especially in blue states, right? So we're in California. A lot of our viewers are in New York or, you know, in, in DC or, or wherever, but a lot, a lot are in Los Angeles uh, right here in Southern California. And whenever the conversation comes up, uh, people tend to say you either have to homeschool or move, meaning move to a red state, right? So you have that freedom. Is that the only recourse we have? No. And I would actually chastise people who say that to then how do you win? 
because everywhere I look, whether it's friends in Phoenix or Austin or Oklahoma City or Nashville, they're still dealing with sex education with kindergartners there. They're still dealing with the government overreach, specifically when it comes to education and teachers unions and CRT. They're still dealing with archdioceses of areas that you would think, oh, maybe the Catholic Church is pro-religious freedom, mandating vaccines for teachers and masking for high school students who Mm -hmm. have antibodies and don't need it. Uh, The list can go on and on. And that if we keep retreating, then you surrender any opportunity to gain back the institutions that you say are so important, like higher education, like entertainment, like finance, like fashion. And and those areas all trickle into politics and all fund politics, by the way. A lot of money comes from New York and L.A. when it comes to funding left-wing agendas. And if conservatives want to, you know, have anything to conserve, then we need to be encouraging people to get involved in STEM and in all of those other areas in which I mentioned and not giving up and putting up a line and saying, this line shall not be crossed. We're going to make gains here. Um, and we're going to turn this state around because as goes California, so goes the nation. Right. And you know, what's interesting is you mentioned conservative many times so far. And of course, um, that's, you know, that, that's of course where, where a lot of these arguments stem from. But um, well, when we're talking about our kids and we're talking about that curriculum and we're talking about, you know, introducing the sex ed too early, we're not saying we want our kids to, you know, be just naive for the rest of their lives and innocent the rest of their lives. Well, it's just too early when they're four years old to be introduced to a lot of this stuff. So we're talking about CRT, we're talking about sex ed being introduced too early. We're talking about uh, a, a, a lot of things where either they're independent centri- central uh, centrists rather or, you know, libertarian, or they lean left, they are on, they don't want this yeah. for their kids. So yeah. when this, how do we bring in, you know, uh, both sides of the political aisle? How do we not make this a conservative issue? Not that we're not proud of our conservative mm-hmm. you know, views, because obviously, again, this is where it stems from. That's why we're grounded in all of this. But how do we open this up to more people so that we have just a bigger force? I think that's something that the conservative movement has done for too long, that now it's interesting that as the conservative movement moves towards accepting more people that don't agree with us 99.9 or 100% of the time, leftists have moved the opposite direction and are now ostracizing their own. Um, when you have people like Dave Rubin coming up to our side or Barry Weiss or other people mm-hmm. that are free thinkers, um, even for some like feminist, libertarian, hardcore, you know, uh, pro-abortion Instagram influencers I follow, but they're anti-vaccine mandates and we can support and follow each other on those things, even though we disagree on 90% of other things. Um, I want people to be able to research and be fact finders and freedom thinkers, even if we don't agree on everything. And I think that our generation has done a good job and I hope continues to do a good job of welcoming a broader coalition of people to be freedom fighters with us and to get government Mm -hmm. out of the way so we can just succeed. Like we can succeed on our own, especially I think, you know, people tend to ignore the she session and how it's really hurt women um, over the last couple of years. And they keep pondering, Oh wow. How come so many women have left the workplace during COVID or how come so many women have lost their jobs during COVID because big government sucks at helping women do what we want to do personally and professionally and just needs to get out of the way. Right, right. And if there wasn't such a stigma of these being conservative issues, I think we would have a lot more people signing up to it. And obviously, Virginia, as you mentioned earlier on, uh, is a great example of that. Uh, going 
to the Virginia example. Um, I think a lot of people are watching these viral videos of parents going to school board meetings and speaking their piece, right? Obviously, the, the most uh, symbolic one being in, in uh, Ludon, Virginia. Um, do you think that these viral videos or these scenes have a backlash effect as well, where parents think to themselves, well, I'd rather just be under the radar than be, you know, kind of be stigmatized at my child's school. Yeah, I think it depends on the parent. And I think, you know, circling back to earlier in the conversation, when you talked about the group chats that people are a part of, whether it's at a public school or a private school, um, I think that it, as concerned parents, you can maybe nominate or delegate one of the most outspoken, uh, fearless among you to represent you to go and say, I've talked to this many people and honestly stand up at that podium and address the people. But I think that I go back to do not be complacent and do not comply. It can be a little weird to get outside of your comfort zone. Um, I've talked to an introverted mom just the other day on Instagram and she was like, but I'm doing it. I'm going and I'm going to be shaking the whole time because I hate public speaking, but I have to do this for my little girl. And I think that you see a lot of parents, that are actually seeing those videos and are like, I can relate to that. And if that guy can get up there and say something, or that mom can get up there and say something, so can I. Never underestimate the power of your voice and how many people, especially the people that cannot speak for themselves and your children really cannot speak for themselves. And it's your duty as a parent to speak up. For right. Them. It's, it's, it's amazing. Exactly what you say about in, in each group. It's like that so many individuals say, well, I'm not well-spoken or I'm not an attorney or I'm not a doctor. So I can't speak to X, Y, and Z. Even better. Even better parent. though. Because if, if you don't have to be that person. Your opinion still matters. And shame on a society that tells a stay-at-home mom or somebody that isn't used to being a trial lawyer or on TV every single night that they don't have a right to stand up. Right. Screw that. Yeah, Absolutely. you do. Absolutely right. Um, go and, and looking at the Virginia example, you know, they're talking about how, I mean, they're beating themselves over the head, right? Why did we, how did we let the Virginia governor's race um, turn like that? And obviously, as you said, it was moms who were just fed up. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't vote by red or blue. They voted with, you know, looking at their children and, um, you know, they were fearful. Um, looking at even what the Democrats were touting. I mean, I hope that Randy Weingarten and the teachers unions come to every single important state and, and help right. us flip it. I, because people have recognized yep. that even though they claim to be for the children, we have seen for over a year and a half how that definitely is not the case. Exactly right. Exactly right. But now we have this force of, you know, like you said, just and I don't want to use the word average, but the, the concerned parent, right? The concerned parent who says, look, I'm roaring to go, but I don't even know what to do first. I don't know how, how do we take this momentum and really seize it to, to take the next steps? I think that through all of this, it has been a lesson, a civics lesson that our public schools have failed to treat, uh, teach generations for 30 plus years now, that local politics matters, that mm -hmm. obviously your mayor matters, your school board matters, your city council and your county supervisors, as we've seen here in Los Angeles County, matter. So get involved and you would be pleasantly or sometimes displacingly surprised at how few people actually vote and engage in those elections. And if you call members of your community to support you or someone that is willing to have that purpose in their life to serve your area, recruit, endorse, knock on doors, make phone calls, get out the vote, because those local races matter, even if they're not as glamorous as a federal Senate seat.
How about concrete examples or, or tangibles, homework assignments? I don't know, whatever you want to call them, because you have all these homeschoolers at home. So um, <laughs> what what's the task sheet for the parents who are watching and saying, I want to be Alicia when I grow up. I want to do what she's doing and I want to make a difference. And I am I they, they cannot be more motivated right now, Alicia. That's that's yeah. the blessing right now. Right. So how, yeah. how, how, what do they do first? Give them a, a checklist of, of items. Oh, I would say number one, just make yourself aware of what's actually happening with your child's education and making a decision that is best for you and your children. And if you choose the route of homeschooling, that is a massive um, sacrifice and a huge influence on the next generation. So more power to you. But I understand it's not for everyone. And beyond that, like I said, like sticking to the politics is local. Even now, this has become a political issue, unfortunately, in churches across the country. And if you're involved in a church community or synagogue or a mosque, um, or a, a, any like a playgroup, whatever, engaging and being involved. In addition to that, support businesses, by the way, that are standing up to this nonsense. Give them calls, emails, give them your dollars, um, <laughs> support them for yeah. birthday parties and everything else because that can go a long way. So I think making yourself aware of what's actually happening with your children and your community and not being afraid to speak up to your bosses and businesses and churches and schools in the area and just go on down the list and ever think about everything that you do on an average week and how that has been affected by government tyranny and overreach and go through the list of, well, what can I do? And a phone call and an email and even a tweet to customer service can often make a massive difference. Look at Southwest, look at Delta, look at other people mm. that are saying, mm, yeah, we're not going to do this now. You know, I, as I'm listening to you, I was like, hmm, I mean, uh, I don't know if this is going to go over well in Los Angeles or New York. Well, and then I, I look to you and I say, maybe people can really, you know, derive strength from you. How how do you stay strong? Right. So we live in Los Angeles. You know, are there days when you wake up and you're like, this is this is a dead end. Like, I'm going to keep fighting, but I'm going to yeah. always be outnumbered. I'm not going to yeah. their ideology is rooted in, in emotional BS. I'm not going to be able to defeat that with facts. Um, are there days when you feel that way? And how do you rein it back in and find the strength to keep going and fighting for your kids each day? Um, I think just my love for them and looking at them and really um, I'm empowered by speaking up for those moms and for those kids, uh, specifically the downtrodden that Democrats claim that they care about, that they have totally abandoned during this time. The kids that I see walking into an LAUSD school with a D rating, 80% English as second language that's overcrowded in a principal that has never returned a phone call, a door knock or an email that I've sent. And I live in her district and my kids should be going there. But a private school around the corner that's 50 grand a year has fully armed, unmasked security teachers and students. I want equality for all of the kids in this area um, and, and across the country. And I want them to have the choice. And I want women specifically to have the choice. And so it can be discouraging. There's a lot of days I wake up, but I pull from history and I pull from biblical stories. It took a long time and a lot of walks around Jericho before the walls fell down and people are pointing and laughing at them. So people want to point and laugh at me, go right ahead. I'm used to it. No, no one's laughing at you. I think a lot of people are applauding you. And I'm getting messages that the, the women from the uh, women's conference that we're putting on in Los Angeles would love to have you as a speaker. So okay. I, I will speak 
I will speak to you about that off air and I hope that you will be able to join us. But you are an inspiration. You give me strength and I, I'm so happy to have you as a friend more than anything else, but also to have you on the show and to um, really thank you. Thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for the motivation. Thank you for the concrete um, and tangible path that you've put in front of us in order to, to fight this as, as a team to really pull together and, and do this. So I thank you for being with us and uh, we hope to have you back on soon. For the rest of you at home who would like to subscribe to our weekly podcast, go to youtube.com slash Lisa Defteri. And to sign up for our daily top 10 email, go to foreigndesknews.com. We'll see you all next week.